Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Nancy Pelosi seals the deal as if there were ever any doubt. She got the final waivers yesterday, the final no votes yesterday. It looks like it's going to be unanimous in the uh, on the floor. Among Democrats, Nancy Pelosi striking the deal to... Once again, assume the speakership of the House of Representatives. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say on a Thursday? Thursday, December 13. Hope you're ready to rock and roll here uh, through the news of the day. And boy, it was a big news day yesterday. Stunning development when Donald Trump's fixer, his personal attorney, the guy that sat right alongside of him, did his bidding in his personal life, in his business life, in his political life lied, cheated, stole, whatever threatened reporters, whatever Donald Trump wanted him to do, said he would take a bullet for the president. That's how loyal he was. Uh, Michael Cohen falling down and getting three years in prison. One more of the closest people, the people closest to Donald Trump, they are falling. They are making plea deals. They are getting convicted. They are pleading guilty. They are going to prison. How long before this circle really closes right in on Donald Trump himself? Because he's the one that directed the whole operation. He is the capo. He's the head of this little mafia team. Oh, so much to talk about. That's just getting us started on this Thursday. And remember, you are very, very much part of the program. We want to hear from you, your comments on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Can't wait to jump in, but first. This is the Full Court Press 
Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, there's like, what, less than three weeks left in the year, and PolitiFact just put out their lie of the year. Oh, What's my. What's the biggest lie told in 2018? Well, God, there's so many. There's so First many. of all, it's got to be Donald Trump. Uh, which of Donald Trump's lies? I think it would be, we're already building the wall, and I'm proud of it. It's a very, very good guess, but weirdly enough... It is not necessarily directly related to Donald Trump. It has to do with the shooting in Parkland, Florida, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Because remember, after all of the students came out, everyone started calling them crisis actors and saying that these were just paid uh, actors who were out there talking about the shooting and pushing for this stuff to get done. And that is what PolitiFact has named Lie of the Year. Chicken. You know, they're just afraid of offending Donald Trump. Come on. I mean, yeah, that was disgusting, but still. But the president of the United States is a lot. There are a lot of lies this year. Yeah. There are a lot of yeah. lies this year, that's for sure. Uh, by the way, you know, good morning to Chicago, WCPT. Your outgoing mayor, Rahm Emanuel, said that he wants to legalize recreational marijuana and open a casino in Chicago. Now, this is, of course, on his way out the door. He says that there is a growing pension crisis in Chicago, and so he is open to legalizing, again, recreational marijuana because it brings it has brought in so much money to the cities that have legalized recreational mm-hmm. marijuana, and also the casino uh, will, will help bring in a lot more money. Now, I can't imagine what could go wrong with a casino in Chicago, the uh, sort of hotbed for organized crime in America. Just saying. I, I, listen, I got to tell you, I got a great spot for that casino. The Trump International Tower, take, yeah. over, take it over. Take it over. You know, by government decree, just take over the property, say we need it, and op- make it a casino. Just don't let Trump run it, because no, no, he's run no, a couple of a, casinos and completely no, exactly. no, the No, no, I mean, throw him the hell out, take Absolutely. the name off it, and name it the Chicago Casino. It's right there alongside the river. It's a beautiful location. A uh, crappy property, but anyhow. I love that idea. I go. love that idea. We'll put together. I, I, I'll give Ram a call after the program. Yeah, give him a call. Call yeah. him up. All right. But hell, he's probably listening on WCPT. Yeah. What's up, Ram? Hey, Ram. This is the Bill Press Show. The fixer walks the plank for Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, I bet he's. Uh, don't feel sorry for him. Don't feel sorry for Michael Cohen. This is a guy that uh, willingly, proudly went to work for Donald Trump and stayed there for 12 years. Hey, hello, everybody. Here we go on Thursday, December 13. It is the Bill Press Show. Great to be with you today. And as always, we thank you for. Uh, being part of the program here, the Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill. That's it. You can't get closer to the action than we are. Right down the street from the United States Capitol building and uh, just a few metro stops away from the White House. Pardon me. We are right in the middle of it uh, with uh, a lot, a lot of big news to talk about today. Every day, We may get to the point where uh, we say, you know, boy, this looks like this is trouble for Donald Trump. But boy, yesterday was double trouble for Donald Trump. 
and I really think the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency. So much to talk about. We've got a great group of people in to help us do that as well, uh, starting with all of you, wherever you are in this great land of ours, as part of the program, as our honored guest today. Uh, whether you are joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, and we remind you every day to go to the podcast, sign up for the podcast, get those podcast numbers up, 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 uh, by going to BillPressShow.com. We're joining you, of course, on the radio uh, statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and in Chicago, and the greater Chicago area on the uh, wonderful WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago. It's been that way for a long time. We're proud to start the day with you on WCPT, and also proud to join you on Free Speech TV, coast to coast. We are there with the news of the day. Joining us today, Niels Lesniewski from uh, the Senior Senate Reporter for Roll Call, uh, a, good, a good friend of the program. Uh, also, Kevin Robiar, Senior Political Reporter for HuffPost. And then, uh, again, just down the street from the Congress, you know, we're able to snare, snare uh, members of Congress on their way to work. And our guest this morning will be the great uh, Jackie Spear, Congresswoman from California's 14th Congressional District, who scored a great big win yesterday when the Senate finally uh, and the House finally got together, uh, something she's been pushing for a long time, uh, legislation dealing with sexual harassment problems inside the United States Congress. So we've got all of that, plus the big stories of the day. Theresa May survives her Brexit vote. Uh, and the biggest stories of the day, of course, the sentencing of Michael Cohen and the plea deal with American uh, Media in Incorporated, or the publishers, let's just call it, of the National Enquirer. Again, you cannot... This is huge. You cannot exaggerate the importance of what happened yesterday. And remember again who Michael Cohen was. You know, he got up there and he said, I'm a victim of you, you poor me, you know, gosh. I, I went to work. I thought it was my duty to cover up his crimes, and I did my duty uh, to cover up his— no, he didn't. He called them dirty deeds. And Donald Trump, I'm just a poor, innocent lawyer, and Donald Trump took advantage of me. And I put myself at the mercy of the court, and the judge basically said, nonsense, baloney, you know what you were doing. You know Donald Trump was the biggest sleaze in New York City, if not in the country, if not on the planet. You went to work for him, and you stayed with him for 12 years. And during that time, you did some pretty nasty stuff, right? Remember, this is a guy way back in um, when uh, Donald Trump's first wife, uh, Ivana, sued for divorce, and she originally, she claimed in her divorce papers that he, she had been raped by her husband. This is a guy, Michael Cohen, who went on national television and said, no, that's, that's got to be wrong because husbands can't rape their wives. That's impossible. No, that could never happen because she's the wife. What's she there for otherwise, Michael Cohen? Michael Cohen also told a reporter who, was a call, who called him about that story when he saw the filing Michael Cohen told the reporter to tread lightly, quote, because what I'm going to do to you is going to be disgusting. Yeah. And the same Michael Cohen who um, in 2011 said, you know, they, uh, they say I'm his right-hand man 
I'm a loyal employee, he, sa- he said. I love this man. I'm proud of him. And then in 2017, once the, uh, Donald Trump was in the White House, as recently as that last year, Michael Cohen, remember, said, uh, I'll take a bullet for the president. I'm never going to walk away. Well, that's before he was caught red-handed by the feds. Then he changed the story, started to cooperate a little bit, but not entirely. But he did end up pleading guilty. So he is subject now, remember, of both of two investigations, the Robert Mueller investigation um, and also the U.S. Attorney's investigation in New York. So he pled guilty to a total of and was charged with and pled guilty to a total of nine crimes, which include tax fraud, which include lying to a bank, uh, which include um, also um, filing, uh, uh, making illegal campaign payments to two women and arranging them to Stormy Daniels, 130000 and to Carrie McDougal through National Enquirer of 150000 The person who carried all of those acts out was Michael Cohen. And so the judge yesterday said, you know, um, you may say you're just an innocent, a babe in the woods. No, you're not. Uh, you are guilty, the judge said, of a smorgasbord of criminal conduct, a smorgasbord of criminal conduct, and sentenced him to three years in prison, um, starting, by the way, three years in prison, plus like $2 million in fines, the two or three fines, which you add them up, over $2 million in fines, and his prison uh, term starts uh, March 6th. So Merry Christmas, spend time with your family, and then <clears throat> report to Felbert. But again, this this is, this is look, in fact, uh, Michael Cohen becomes the fourth person close to Donald Trump to go to prison. Paul Manafort will be the fifth. But he, he joins uh, Richard Pinedo, who was that player from uh, California that got wrapped up in it. George Papadopoulos, who is on the... Uh, he's already... He's in serving prison right now, yeah, time yeah. right now, who was on his foreign policy uh, committee. Remember the first guy that they found out was meeting with the Russians? And the guy, the Dutch lawyer, Alex van der Svan, who's also, I believe, serving his time right now, or already served his time. So he's the fourth one uh, of Donald Trump's associates to go to prison, and the seventh one of Donald Trump's associates to plead guilty. So every, every time you hear them say, oh, and he's only one of 36 who's been indicted. So every time you hear them say that Robert Mueller has accomplished nothing. Yeah. No, there are a lot of people really close to Donald Trump. And again, that doesn't count Paul Manafort. Right. Rick Gates hasn't been sentenced nope. yet. You Michael know. Flynn. Michael Flynn may not serve any time, but he, he, you know, he pled guilty. These people all close to him. And by the way, it's not over yet. Yeah, you got to remember, it's not over there's yet. still Jared right. Kushner, Donald Trump Jr., all these other people that have been, uh, uh, you know, brought into this investigation. And maybe it ends up with them. Who knows? But, like, it looks like it's going that direction. Uh, it looks like it's closing, you know? it's closing in on Donald Trump every day. Yeah. So on top of the Michael Cohen stuff, as if that's not bad enough, right, then remember there was this other player because the Karen McDougal payment was made. She told her story to the National Enquirer, and the National Enquirer said, well, thank you for the story. Now, we don't want to run it, and we'll pay you $150,000 if you agree we won't run the story, and then you don't talk about it. Uh, And uh, David Pecker, 
the publisher, sorry, that's his name, got to repeat, I can't, <laughs> can't do otherwise, uh, told David us- David Pecker, your name is your destiny. He told us, he stepped on it yesterday. He told us for two years that he did this independently because it was his judgment, the story wasn't worth printing, ba 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 ba. No. Yesterday, he made a plea deal with Robert Mueller. He will get no time in prison in return for telling everything he knows. By the way, he and Donald Trump have been butt buddies for decades. That goes way back. Donald Trump introducing him at different events, David Pecker having meetings at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, this goes on and on. But in particular, David Pecker said that the payments to Karen McDougal were made in coordination with Michael Cohen, bingo, the president's personal attorney, and with other officials in the Trump campaign headquarters. And the payments were made, just like the payments for us to Stormy Daniels, the payments were made to influence the outcome of the 2016 election. In other words, to keep her quiet so that wouldn't hurt Donald Trump's chances. Uh, so you're now another associate of, uh, of Donald Trump's who has admitted breaking the law. Now here's, here's, now, here's the key point, as if that's not bad enough. It's not just what Michael Cohen did. It's not just what David Pecker did. Both of them say, and the U.S. attorney says, they were acting under the orders of Donald Trump himself. He is the unindicted co-conspirator in this case. He is the Richard Nixon in this case. And as several uh, leading uh, criminal experts have said, if Donald Trump were not the president of the United States, he would have been charged right alongside of Michael Cohen. He would have had to, uh, he'd be guilty right alongside of David Pecker because he ordered them to to commit the criminal acts that they did. Don't take it from me. Take it from Fox News, okay? Trump's channel. Andrew Napolitano, chief legal analyst for Fox News, a couple of days ago with Tom Shalhoub on a uh, a talk radio host, said if Trump ordered this, he's as guilty as they are. So I think those who are trying to downplay this and say it's a a bookkeeping error, when you're talking about paying somebody money to remain silent about alleged inappropriate behavior, that is either a campaign contribution, which is unlawful, or a campaign expenditure, which is unlawful. And and Cohen pleaded guilty to it. But, you know, if you hire me to shoot somebody yeah. and I shoot them under the law, you are as liable as if you pulled the trigger. I- yep, absolutely. As liable as if you pulled the trigger yourself. So it is really closing in on Donald Trump himself. Uh, and um, a couple of people yesterday commenting on this, Jeff Tubin, our good friend from uh, CNN, chief legal analyst on CNN, says one thing is this, uh, Donald Trump better get nervous. It is also a message that people around the president are going to prison. I mean, you know, if a year ago you had told any of us that Michael Cohen would be going <laughs> to prison, we would all have been flabbergasted. I mean, this guy was really close to the president. For a decade. For, for a decade. How significant is it? Uh, Congressman Denny Heck from the state of Washington on CNN last night with uh, Aaron Burnett. In light of what happened today, in light of all the events of the last couple of weeks and all the sentencing memos that have been filed, now 36 indictments, three prison terms and the like, I'm prepared to say something I've never said. The writing's on the wall, the walls are closing in, and this is the beginning of the end for the Trump administration. Wow. 
beginning of the end for the Trump administration. Uh, And again, the documents yesterday filed say that Donald Trump willingly, willfully rather, and knowingly joined a conspiracy to violate campaign laws and, pardon me, to commit other crimes as well. Uh, Trump, uh, by the way, insists that they are simple. It was a simple private transaction. But, you know, nobody else is raising this question, but I will. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. But I think it's worth asking, and this may go all the way to the Supreme Court. Heard it here first on the Bill Press Show. If, If Donald Trump won the presidency by illegal campaign contributions, if he won the presidency by illegal actions, if he won the presidency by committing federal crimes, does that make his election illegitimate? I think that's a question worth asking. And if you could, if they were able to raise the BS question about Donald uh, Barack Obama being an illegitimate president because he wasn't born in the United States, well, we know that factual the basis of that was factually inaccurate because he was born in the United States. Hawaii was a state. But with Donald Trump, we know the facts are he committed the crimes. So says the U.S. attorney. Uh, so says the federal prosecutor. So say the, uh, the, the special counsel. So we know the facts are correct here. Donald Trump won the presidency as a result of partly, as a reason, at least, of illegal activity. What does that make his presidency illegitimate? We'll uh, <clears throat> we'll be hearing more about that. You bet. What else is happening in the news? Well, boy, Nancy Pelosi. I got to tell you, we saw in the Oval Office the other day uh, why she's the right person to be speaker because she was able to stand up to Donald Trump, put him in his place, and by the way, outfox him. I mean, the, I, I talked to. A lot of reporters down at the White House about this since everybody had the same same judgment that Nancy Pelosi went in there with one goal, and that was to get Donald Trump to, fess, to take ownership of the government shutdown. And boy, she's bingo, mission accomplished. Yeah, put that big sign up there. And the way she did so was starting out by saying, we're here because we don't want to see a Trump shutdown. Boom, Donald Trump went right away. Whoo, what? Trump shutdown? I can put my name on it? Like my Trump Tower? I own it? And then he said, yeah, damn right it's a Trump shutdown, and I'm proud of it. Walked right into her trap. You know, there were a lot of uh, Republican lawmakers yesterday that had to answer for that, right? Mm -hmm. Because Donald Trump was happy to take the title of Trump shutdown, or as he said, take the mantle of Trump shutdown. None of these Republican politicians want to have to deal with this. No, no. None of them. And And he was in essence saying... That we, the Republicans, the Republican Party, everybody, we all want this, right? No, they don't want it. You know, he may want it. Well, the other, the other sign that we've seen of, of Nancy Pelosi's uh, skills as a politician and as a leader was yesterday she put to rest once and for all uh, any, uh, any opposition to her becoming the next speaker, which she definitely should and will, uh, when she made this made this final deal with the last remaining holdouts, uh, they wanted some change. Originally, they said, you have to agree. Tell us the date you're going to quit. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. Idiots. Why would I do that? For you. 
You don't have the votes anyhow. You don't even have a candidate. But she did make, I think, a good deal yesterday, not only for her, but for going forward. She said, and the deal is uh, that that um, she could serve the next two years, but no longer than four more years. Um, so she could have as many as four, but certainly another two. And the, so the essence of the deal is that if you're in the top leadership, meaning speaker, um, whip, or Democratic leader, I think those are three, um, you can serve three terms max. Now, Nancy's already served one. Steny Hoyer's already served one. James Clyburn has already served one. It's, it's retroactive, by the way, so it does apply to them. So going forward, anybody who becomes speaker could only be speaker for six years uh, under, the, under this new agreement. Uh, it's got to be passed by the Democratic caucus. They'll probably get the votes in the caucus. And with that agreement, um, the, by the way, you, uh, oh, there's one other catch here. You can only serve six years unless you get two-thirds of a vote in the caucus, not just a minority. So you could extend it, but you need a two-thirds vote. Um, I think it's, a, I think, again, I think it's a good deal moving forward. And it certainly yesterday served the purpose of all the people who had been opposing her just put up the white flag and said, okay, damn it, you win. <laughs> yeah. You know, look, there were a lot of stories written over the last couple <laughs> of weeks about how Nancy Pelosi is in real trouble. Nancy Pelosi might not make it to the speech. And I just laughed at every single one of them. Absolutely. Like, if anybody I- knows how to figure this out, it's yeah. Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Starting with a fact, as we said so many times. You can't beat somebody with nobody. Right. They never even had a candidate. Right. Yeah. So in the end, I think this is a good deal to open up the House, give the opportunity to have younger people move up, new faces, new blood, move up going forward, and that will be part of uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh, legacy. Uh, hmm. Another woman didn't. Well, she survived yesterday, but uh, <laughs> but that had a big uh, big underbelly to it too. Uh, Theresa May with the vote on Brexit. We talked yesterday about the vote of confidence in, in the uh, in the parliament. Uh, she won that vote, by the way. By it sounds more lopsided than it was by the by a, a count of two hundred to one hundred and seventeen. So you would say landslide victory. Yeah. No, the only way that she won that vote is she agreed that she would not run for reelection. Agreed, and now she's still got to do something about Brexit. Fact is, she doesn't have the votes to get the Brexit deal passed. Uh, at the Brexit deal that she made with EU leaders uh, passed, and so it could be that England just finally accepts the fact that they can't get out of the EU and they have to stay in it. Uh, Theresa May, God love her, she tried to put the best face on it yesterday walking out of 10 Downing Street and facing reporters and saying, what a big win this was. This has been a long and challenging day, but at the end of it, I'm pleased to have received the backing of my colleagues in tonight's ballot. Oh, yes. Okay. And now what are we going to do next, Theresa? We now need to get on with the job of delivering Brexit for the British people and building a better future for this country. All right. You know, I mean... She has been such an embarrassment. Oh no, she on is. so She's many great. different levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that you know, it, you she's know, no Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> no, and we were talking. 
yesterday, I thought she was gone for sure. But as you pointed out, right, like that she had to give her word that she would not run for reelection. And that's yeah. that's what saved her. Yeah. If she had not done that, she'd, she'd be, gone. be gone. Yeah. She'd have been gone. Right. Absolutely. So coming back home here, uh, we're still looking for our chief of staff. Have you guys sent your resume in yet? I mean, <laughs> it's still wide open. Uh, as we said, and it turned out, after uh, watching that um, free-for-all in the Oval Office, anybody who was even thinking about becoming chief of staff would have to say, boy, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with that mess. Uh, well, sure enough, Congressman Mark Meadows, who was the uh, Donald Trump's first choice after Nick Ayers, Nick Ayers turned him down last Sunday, uh, the chief of staff, outgoing chief of staff now for uh, Vice President Mike Pence, um, the leading candidate was Congressman Mark Meadows from North Carolina, uh, head of the Freedom Caucus yesterday. Um, the White House, it, it, the way this came down, it came down as the White House announcing that Donald Trump called Mark Meadows and said, you don't have the job. I need you to stay in Congress. <laughs> uh, my reading of that, having been around Washington for a little bit, is Mark Meadows called the White House and said, take my name off the list. And you can announce it any way you want, but just make sure my name is no longer on the list. Uh, now the speculation is, <clears throat> are you sitting down? <clears throat> yeah, ready for this? At the White House yesterday, reportedly, by the way, Donald Trump spent almost the entire day in the executive mansion yesterday, didn't come to the Oval Office, dealing with this issue, talking to people, uh, calling up people. And one of the people that he met with was <clears throat> Newt Gingrich. Ah! Can, Can you believe you it? Believe it, God, that would be such a freaking disaster. You know, first of all, it makes perfect sense, though. It does. Oh, that no, no. makes perfect sense because there is nobody who is a bigger Trumper on Fox News, other than Sean Hannity, right? <laughs> With I mean, maybe you're onto something. Yeah, I mean, Sean Hannity can be. Well, Sean staff. Hannity is the chief. He already of staff. is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. right. You're right. Um. So uh, uh, no bigger Trumper there than fire, than Newt Gingrich, who just everything slobbers all over Donald Trump all the time. And that's all he wants out of a chief of staff. That's what he wants in a chief of staff, a, 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 someone who will go on Fox News and slobber over him. That's what he wants. But if you want to, I mean, if you want to know how well, how, how effective Newt Gingrich would be as chief of staff, first of all, do you think anybody would take him seriously in the White House? No. They know he's a joke. I mean, just take a look at how well he did as speaker. He got run out by members of his own party because he was so ineffective, uh, such a BSer. And also, ask CNN how well he did when they tried to resurrect Crossfire. That's right. Mm-hmm. And make him the co-host. Look. It lasted, what, three months? Look, yeah. the chief of staff God. is a very important role in the White House, as you know. And it's not just about speaking in bullet points and, oh. and going on TV. and you, it, like that's, that's not what the chief of staff does. Right, you keep the trains running on time. Yeah, keep everything in order. Uh, when I think orderly business, and I think about what Newt Gingrich did to the Congress, and again, as you pointed out, he got run out. Yeah, by, by his own party. No, he would be a disaster as chief of staff. Absolutely, a disaster. Totally. Uh, take it from me, folks. Uh, take it from me. He's having lunch with the president tomorrow. Take it from me. The next chief of staff is going to be David Bossie. David Bossie, who was deputy campaign manager during the campaign. Um, <clears throat> I hate to say I told you so, but next week I'm going to say I told you so. Uh, you heard it here first. Um, uh, just one final point. Uh, we can be, however, so proud of our first lady. She was on last night with Sean Hannity. Donald Trump tweeted out, 
Our first lady is going to be over Sean Hannity. You have to watch that. We'll just play this little clip, and then you draw your own conclusion. What's been the hardest for you since you become first lady? What's been the hardest thing that you have to deal with? I would say the opportunists who are using my name or my family name to advance themselves from comedians to um, uh, journalists to uh, performers, um, book writers. Does it hurt? Uh, it doesn't hurt. The problem is they writing the history and it's not correct. And especially when there's speculation about you and your family and your marriage, and you've right. addressed that in past interviews? Yes, I did. And, you know, some, they like to focus on the gossip. And I would like to, they, they focus on the substance and what we do, not just about uh, nonsense. <laughs> Another hard-hitting interview by Sean Hannity. Uh, let me just say, I... I make a rule of always being nice to first ladies, so I'm not going to make any comment other than to say, as a journalist, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we do talk about the substance of what your nutty husband does, ma'am. Okay? So, we're wrong. Neil Zlazewski joins us from Roll Call. Coming up next, senior Senate reporter, and we're just getting started here on the Bill Press Show. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Thursday, December 13, the Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill. Good to have you with us today. Uh, And uh, just a little reminder, December 13, you know, uh, time is really running out. Uh, If you want to fill your stocking with the best Christmas present ever or uh, pick up the best uh, uh, holiday gift ever for someone that you love, Uh, in order to get your order in and for one of Carol Press's hand-woven scarves like I'm wearing today. Uh, Time's running out to get get the orders to her and for Carol to wrap them up and get them in the mail to you. Uh, Those of you watching online or on television today can see. Look, I often tell you some of the ones that I wear are the most beautiful one I've ever seen. This really is. I love this black with a little gold uh, pattern uh, in it, little gold uh, checks, I guess. Uh, it is uh, every one of them is hand woven, none done by machine. Every single one, a work of art. Uh, this one, Rayon Chenille, they, she also does them in bamboo. Lots of colors and designs to choose from. Uh, to tell you one more time how to get there. Go to BillPressShow.com. Follow the link to Carol Press Scarves, and you too uh, can be uh, as good looking as I am wearing this scarf. There you go. Hey. Uh, our good friend here for the holidays, uh, still uh, Nils Lisniewski from a Roll Call, trying to figure out how he can make any holiday plans with a shutdown looming. Uh, That's right. But we'll find out how that works out. Nils, and lots to talk about the things that uh, they've got on their plate this week. Uh, we have been uh, stirring things up for the last half hour or so. Yeah. Peter, yeah. how bad is it? Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's that bad. We've got lots of comments on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Let's start off with Phil, who says Sean Hannity is already the shadow chief of staff for the White House. Totally. Uh, also, Holly Tooker says, I am rooting for Newt Gingrich for chief of staff, and the BBC can run the six wives of Don and Newt. Oh, uh, that would, yeah. I think it's maybe more than six. Yeah, you might be right. Is yeah. it four Trump now or three Trump? I forget. Okay. All right. Four. Uh, 
Also, I just want to mention, you know, yesterday we put up our poll uh, that you can all vote mm-hmm. on. And I just want to pull up the, the results uh, from uh, from that because uh, we got a lot of comments on that as well. Uh, at BP Show, at BP Show is where we have that. And I... Um, and the poll Gosh, was? I'm trying to find it. Now I can't oh, find it. Oh, I just tried oh, to pull it up, oh, and now okay, I can't find sorry. it. Anyway, I'll, I'll read that to you later on. But if you have a comment, find <laughs> us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Yeah. It was a great poll. It was such an important poll. We just can't remember what it was. <laughs> I was just trying to pull it up, but I couldn't find it. Well, we do so many every day. I understand that. I mean, uh, I often can't remember the guests that we had on the day before because, you know, we just keep charging ahead. So... Um, so I want to come back to your holiday plans here. Yeah. How can you make any plans with this shutdown looming? I, you, you really can't make a whole lot of plans. I have. You can't, and the members can't. No, and that, and that. So for for the the members, it's really a problem, particularly with the house, where we have all these people who have already lost their offices. They're not even literally. showing up now, are they? Yeah. So the the attendance in the house, I've I've seen estimates that there could be forty or fifty. Members who just don't show up, uh, which makes it really difficult if you are the uh, House uh, Republican majority of the next couple of weeks uh, to uh, try yeah. and have any leverage in making a deal if you're not going to have any enough people there to vote for building the wall or Because whatever. most of the members who lost their seats and will not show up are Republicans. That's right. And, they, and, they, and even some who, frankly— did not lose their seats um, are are getting frustrated. I have heard rumor that there are supposed to be uh, codels, which for the, oh, right. the listeners yes, and viewers yes. who aren't familiar are these uh, foreign trips uh, that Total members of boondoggle. Congress take. Codel meaning yes. congressional delegation. Yeah, these are first class, all at government expense to usually beautiful places, right, where they hold Serious, serious fact-finding yes. missions, like yes. on the beach in the Bahamas. Right? So I have heard, I have heard, I have heard rumor that there's a number of those that are supposed to be leaving next Thursday, a week, you know, a week from now, and so that uh, those members will be very, very frustrated if they have to cancel their uh, important government research travel. Oh, you know, there are lots of Codel scheduled. There always are over every holiday yeah. period. Yeah, and and people sign up. They can take their spouse. They can take their girlfriend. You know, boyfriend, whatever. Uh, and sometimes staff members. I mean, these are these are. I, I I know a lot of people who've gone on a lot of these codels. They're they're a sweet deal for them. Yeah. A sweetheart deal, we should call it. Now the the uh, the the Congress did something extraordinarily important yesterday, right? They voted to legalize hemp. Ah, yes. Who knew that hemp was illegal? Uh, Mitch McConnell knew that hemp was illegal uh, because what this is in the farm bill. So the the once every five year, the big farm programs bill um, that is now heading to to President Trump uh, includes a bunch of language that uh, that McConnell actually, frankly, gets most of the credit for, although Ron Wyden, the Democrat from Oregon, uh, worked with him on it because Oregon wants to grow hemp too, um, but this is what they think could be a big cash crop. Uh, so basically, because it's in the same family of plant as marijuana, yeah, it was it sort was of banned huh? banned under the same uh, Controlled right. Substances Act uh, yeah. framework, uh, and so they're removing it from the Controlled Substances Act and saying 
The U.S. Department of Agriculture can regulate it, which means, of course, you right. can grow it. You just have to file paperwork. Uh, so tell me the good news. They they did the same thing for marijuana at the same time? No, no. They, oh, they, this they didn't is, go that this far. Is just, this is just a carve-out for rope and all these other assorted I was going to say, what, do, can, what do you make with hemp? It's a lot of... Um, it's a lot of uh, clothing and rope and sort of that sort of goods. And so and apparently we use a lot of it in the United States and a lot of it is but it all has to be imported. So Bill, it's not e- easy. Mm-hmm. It, you can use it in finished goods, but you have to import it. Bill, yeah. here's a free idea. You could pass this along to Carol. Hemp scarves. Hemp scarves. You just mentioned the scarves. Next year, hemp scarves. Rayon chenille, bamboo and hemp. Yeah. Why not? Well, uh, you can also smoke it, can't you? No, you cannot. Well, I mean, you could. You, you could smoke it anything really you want, have, uh, but it doesn't do what you want yeah. it to do. Oh, okay. But you'd have to smoke a lot of hemp to feel <laughs> anything at all. It's there's not there's not a psychoactive oh. uh, chemical in there that'll so, get you high. <laughs> so this is a big win for Mitch McConnell. Uh, it is, and what you know, he's up for re-election. <laughs> He's, oh. a tw- he's on the ballot in 2020. Yeah. So uh, you can expect to be hearing a lot more about the boon to the Kentucky economy that the Mitch McConnell has brought because of hemp the man who's over saved, and over again. Who saved hemp. So now it's bourbon and hemp, huh? Yes. This is- well, he literally – we'll see if this comes true, but but there's a chance it might actually come true is that hemp could replace a lot of the tobacco in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Because you know people aren't smoking as much, and there's right. not as much right. money right. Right. to be made, and so they needed to find a new crop to plant on the land that had been tobacco farms. Well, I'm all for it. I just wish they would legalize, and they will someday, marijuana as well. Um, in this farm bill, um, I haven't had a chance to really look into it, but I saw one quick article. One article this morning just caught my attention that there was um, some language in here regarding protection of farm animals too. That was- yes. That was a, yeah. a big win. Yes, uh, and so there's some language protecting farm animals. They took out uh, some sort of not exactly protecting farm animals language or animal, what one might call animal cruelty allowing language that Steve King, of all people, oh, the Republican yeah. from right. Iowa, had inserted in the House bill. Uh, so that's not in there. The other thing that's in this bill regarding protect which is actually more about protection of humans than protection of uh animals but is if you have a domestic violence case uh there are there's going to be new funding and a new program so that you can so if you're if you're uh say someone who's facing spousal abuse on a farm mm. that you can take your animals with you which is not something anyone would, you know, no, anyone who I, lives in the DC bubble would think of. But right. but if you if you live on a farm and you're in an abusive relationship mm. and you have and, pigs or cattle or whatever, and this is part of the agricultural bill, yes. the farm bill that was yes. passed. All right. Um, and another thing, well, we saw um, we had the you know the tradition is when you're leaving the Senate, you get to make your Farewell speech, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's that occasion uh, came yesterday with one of my least favorite people, Senator Orrin Hatch from Utah, who lamented the fact that how low the bar has gone in the United States Senate. On both the left and the right, the bar of decency 
has been set so low that jumping over it is no longer the objective. Limbo is the new name of the game. How low can you go? How low can you? You could go about as low as Aaron Hatch went, as far as I'm concerned, because I think he set the new lows. I mean, this is a guy at one time um, d did get together with Teddy Kennedy, particularly on health care legislation, right? But since then, I mean, since Donald Trump's been in, I never considered Aaron Hatch a Trumper, but he has become a 100% Trumper, right? It, it, it's been fascinating. You, you I, had a chance I, to visit I, with him. Yeah, I visited with him the other day. We put up a, a plug for the RollCall.com video that we made of... We, we basically, he's packing up his office, and so we we visited him while he was uh -huh. gathering his possessions to bring set, get sent back to Boxing Utah. Boxing things up. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but, and he, it's fascinating because he brought up the work with uh, Kennedy over the years and how he actually first ran for the Senate. Think this through. I, I This part I didn't actually know, that he actually ran for the Senate because he hated Ted Kennedy, he had seen Ted Kennedy on television and and such, huh, and huh. but, but so yeah, but Hatch is one of the most fascinating sort of transformations in the Trump era. Uh, he was a early Trump supporter. I think he may have been the second after Sessions after Sessions to yeah. endorse Trump, uh, which would never have been something that I would have no uh, seen no, coming no. no. No, I mean, we used to, Trump was, uh, Trump, um, Hatch, was a frequent guest on Crossfire in those days, and he was never um, a extreme right-winger at all. I mean, he was certainly not a Trumper. He's not somebody that I would have guessed, because he did have that reputation as being a more civil member, right, willing to reach across the aisle. But, you know, he, I also saw the other day, he said basically, he doesn't care about any of these accusations about Donald Trump or Michael Cohen or... Stormy Daniels, you know. Yeah, well, so so that'll, that'll all those questions will now go to his successor, his hand-picked successor, who he said he went in and, and met with it at Washington downtown in D.C., Mitt Romney. That's right. Yeah, right. Uh, so 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 Hatch retired. Part of the reason why Hatch was willing to retire was because he recruited his own replacement. And his replacement used to be the governor of Massachusetts, who lost a Senate race to Ted Kennedy, by the way, at one point in time. Um, yes, but right. how the and, world turns. And Mitt Romney, who two years ago was the most outspoken Republican critic of Donald Trump. The speech that Mitt Romney gave, nobody – there were other people who were critical, but nobody laid it right. out like Mitt Romney so it did. Will be, it will, it's going to be fascinating to see how – uh, if if Romney adopts any of uh, Senator Hatch's views on uh, Stormy Daniels or um, Russia or any of that sort of stuff, I don't expect that Mitt Romney is going to become an "oh, it's okay if you were doing business with Putin" kind yeah. of guy. But you know, who knows? Who knows? Right. Um, the Senate is also. We saw in the wake of the Jamal Khashoggi murder. Uh, and the unwillingness of the administration to do anything about it, or even for Donald Trump to condemn it. Um, some break in the Senate with Donald Trump uh, and the Saudis over the war in Yemen. 
Yes. So, so I mean, the, that vote was what sixty three thirty seven or something. Or yeah. So the initial one-sided. vote, the initial vote was like that. Uh, the final vote on that is this afternoon. Uh, they've been debating it for about a week. A vote to do what? The vote would. So <coughs> caveat being, the House is not going to do anything with this, so it won't mean anything. So it's symbolic because the House isn't going to take it up. But what it would do is it would stop. Uh, the U.S. military from supporting the Saudis in the war in Yemen. So uh, one of the biggest things is aerial refueling. Mm-hmm. The the Saudis don't have the capacity on their own to be able to refuel their planes mid-flight. We have, of course, the U.S. has these giant tanker airplanes that can do mid-flight refueling. Uh, and so those sort of support services that the U.S. military has been providing, uh, the Senate... Uh, it's likely a majority of senators will vote to cut that off. So we are supplying, we're selling them the weapons, the bombs that they drop, and now we're and selling them the planes that drop the bombs, and now we're refueling the planes yes. that drop the bombs, right? So, but we're not but, engaged in hostilities in Yemen, right? So, well, this would, but you say it's, but it's, it would not cut it off because it's only symbolic. Right. right. Well, it's it, it it's only symbolic because the House isn't going to do anything with it because the House is still controlled by the Republicans for another two weeks. But the House could take it up in January. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then we the, the debate may change in January. So uh, I don't want to read too much into this, but is this sort of like the first crack in the dam of solid Senate Republican support for Donald Trump? Well, I I think that there that this the. The broader question of uh, the Saudi relationship is certainly creating fissures that were not there previously. Um, there have been there have been uh, more criticisms of Mike Pompeo and, and Jim Mattis even yeah. that they would normally not expect to hear from Senate Republicans um, because the story that was initially told to the Senate about what happened in uh, that consulate in, in Turkey uh, to Khashoggi at the hands of the uh, Saudi officials uh, was not credible at all. And and one thing that I think more than most anything else, senators do not like to be is being lied to. Being lied to. And that's yeah. Part of the problem. And then Gene Haspel came in uh, a week later and told them the real story, and they all were stunned. Yes. Right? Uh, at one point in time, I don't know, the my, my favorite clip of that was when Lindsey Graham emerged and said was asked if there was a smoking gun, and he said, right. no, but there's a smoking Smoke. saw. Right, yeah. Um, from when, I mean, horrifyingly, they dismembered the body. Um, and if there's a smoking saw, then... Well, I guess that everyone should understand that this is real and that uh, but President Trump seems to not do that. Well, no, because our relationship with them is too important. Well, that raises then the the broader question about um, uh, what are you hearing from Senate Republicans that you're talking to about Donald Trump saying uh, he is eager to shut down the government and will be proud to do so. Um, Chuck Schumer, uh, following up on the Oval Office meeting um, yesterday, used the key phrase, I think, that he and Nancy Pelosi have added to the uh, political lexicon. President Trump will soon realize that his position will not result in a wall, but will result in a Trump shutdown. Yeah. 
So you get the feeling Donald Trump really wants to show Peter. Yeah, uh, Donald Uh-oh. Trump just no, tweeted. Just, oh, just tweeted. Here we go. Uh, I just have to read there this it out. Is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often stated, "quote One way or the other, Mexico is going oh, to pay God, for the wall." End quote. Yes. This has never changed. Mm-hmm. Our new deal with Mexico and Canada, the USMCA, is so much better than the old, very costly, and anti-USA NAFTA deal that just by the money we save, Mexico is paying for the wall. That In other is words, not the same no, thing at all. Not oh, even yeah. close. Yeah. First not of all, that deal is not real, right? That deal has not been approved. No, that deal is it has not, not been approved. Is not in place. There's no guarantee that it will be. But, you know, <laughs> that's like saying, uh, you know, hey, honey, by not buying you that fur coat, or I don't want to use a fur coat, right? Or sure, by that sure, new sure. Lexus or something. Sure. I saved us $30,000. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I got you this. Yep. <laughs> I got you a scooter instead or some, whatever. Yeah, that's ridiculous logic. Um, but so... What are, what are senators telling you about how eager they are for a shutdown? Well, they're they're not eager for a shutdown, of course. But but I mean, particularly, Mitch McConnell has said over and over, right? Yeah, we don't have to do yeah, this. And now yeah. Donald Trump is saying the leader of the party of their party, I want a shutdown. The general sense I've gotten from Republicans is that Schumer baited him, and Trump Schumer baited Trump and. Mm-hmm. Trump fell for it, and now they don't know what to do. That they basically, that yeah. Schumer basically Welcome won. to Washington. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's it. Yeah. I think you summed it up right. I mean, I think that's probably where it is. They're probably, what the hell do we do now, right? Yeah, because Hope. it just doesn't, um, it doesn't make, uh, obviously the shutdown, having a shutdown doesn't make logical sense, but now the question is, do you just send do, does McConnell? This would probably most likely be McConnell and Schumer. Do McConnell and Schumer and get together and pass something through the Senate, hope that the what is left of the House Republicans decide to take it up and send it to Trump? And as one might hear said in the Oval Office, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. That may be where we are because I expect that Congress will try and fund the government, and they might even pass something, and then. Right. Well, you know, we'll see what Trump does about it. And then Trump has to sign it, right? And so this would – and at the timing we're talking about, back to your holiday plans, uh, you know the way they do things. This would not happen until probably 11 o'clock next Friday night. Right, right. right. And, and by and then – that's he, Christmas weekend. And by then I'm assuming the president will want to be in Mar-a-Lago at that point. Um, and And – it, will he have to stay? One of the great questions is, will he have to stay in Washington if he shuts down the We've been talking about this on the, the show. I think he can't go out of town. Other than what the hell? He doesn't care. He'll just go to Mar-a-Lago. They're also, as you know, uh, talking about a trip to the war zone, to the yes. combat zone. Um, I, how this would impact. I think he's got to stay in Washington if the government shuts down. But, but you know, why, why would he... he He's never done anything the way presidents normally do things, so this right. could be right. the exception again. Um, looking ahead, is it too um, is it too early to say what <laughs> we can't? We, we're not even sure we're going to get through the holidays without shutting down the government. Uh, what are what what do you see on the horizon for twenty nineteen? Anything big? 
so no, <laughs> because you know, with the with the uh, Democrats taking over the House, the, you know, their first priority is this this package of campaign finance measures and right. and government accountability H-R-1. measures, HR one. Which Mitch McConnell has already said is not on the agenda of the Senate next year. So we can go ahead and know how that's going to end. Um, The biggest thing potentially, I can't believe I'm going to say this again, but. I know what you're going to say. It starts with an I. Yes, yes. The, the, The mythical infrastructure week may come back again, roaring back to life. This is, what do you mean? This is infrastructure week. Well, we never left infrastructure week. So that, I mean, there is a possibility that if, oddly, I will say Jared Kushner, because he seems mm-hmm. like the likely person who actually talks to Democrats, were to come up to Capitol Hill with some actual money uh, deal, then it might happen. But that's about it. Okay. Well, Niels, thanks for coming in today. Uh, you can follow Niels and all of our good friends over at Roll Call at RollCall.com. And we wish you a happy holidays wherever you spend them. And we hope it's not here in Washington, D.C. Thank you. Coming up, Kevin Robiar from HuffPost. He comes up next. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Nancy Pelosi seals the deal, yes, in a final agreement with uh, those people who are trying to dethrone her. She won their votes yesterday by putting together a uh, little agreement on term limits for Democratic leaders of the House, both now and and in the future, what do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. It is a big news day. The Bill Press Show, as always, on this Thursday, December 13, coming to you live from right here, pardon me, our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our studio on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Congress and about five metro stops away from the White House, with lots and lots to talk about today. The big news, of course, out of New York City, where a judge threw the book at Michael Cohen yesterday, uh, where Michael Cohen said he was just uh, tried to convince the judge. He was just an innocent young attorney who didn't know what he was doing and made a big mistake and went to work for Donald Trump. uh, And he's sorry, 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 and regrets it. And the judge said, yeah, don't try to BS me, dude. (laughs) You went there... um, as a pretty accomplished attorney, and you stayed there with Donald Trump for 12 years, and you committed an entire smorgasbord of criminal activity and sentenced him to three years. Yet one more close associate of Donald Trump, and there was nobody closer to him than Michael Cohen. 
goes down. Uh, how long before Trump? Is he the next one? It's the Bill Press Show, Thursday, December 13. You are very much a part of it, so send us your comments on Twitter about Michael Cohen and all the rest of yesterday's news at BP Show, at BP Show. We'll uh, bring you up to date on the rest of it, but first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Now, uh, talk about the end of an era. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that the Boy Scouts of America is considering filing for bankruptcy. They hired a law firm and said that they, it looks like a possible Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing by the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, now, because of this, this uh, would halt... Enough Boy Scouts haven't paid their dues? Well, well, here's what they're many? saying. There have been a lot of allegations of inappropriate conduct by employees. There have been multiple lawsuits against oh. the Boy Scouts. And also, as you mentioned, there are less boys participating uh-huh. in the Boy Scouts than yeah. before. Uh, so they don't have a huge revenue stream. They're losing money off of all these different lawsuits that they've had to deal with. So Chapter 11 bankruptcy may be in the very near future for the Boy Scouts. Uh, and then how soon before the Catholic Church has to file for bankruptcy? Yeah, seriously. After all the money they've had to pay out and the latest, the top, one of the top cardinals in the Vatican? Yeah, another one. Another one? Another one. Uh, back in 2011, Lily was a new puppet that was introduced on Sesame Street. And they said that she was being she was a food-insecure character. And they talked about the lack of food for a lot of kids, and it was a very important thing. Well, yesterday, Sesame Street, the Sherry Weston, the president of Global Impact and Philanthropy for the Sesame Workshop, said that Lily is, in fact, experiencing homelessness. And she mm. is the very first mm. character on Sesame Street to experience homelessness, which is a way to relate to kids who deal with poverty in yeah, this country. Yeah. Now, I don't want to make light of the situation, I but Oscar was homeless. I was going to say Oscar the Grouch lived in a trash can. Yeah. Right. So, I don't. Again, I don't want to make light of it. And I think it's very important that they're talking about these issues. But like, they did have a homeless character already. His name was Oscar the Grouch. But he was a grouch. He, but he was a grouch. And one final story. Remember, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen interviewed Roy Moore on his Showtime show. <laughs> he played the yes. audio. Uh, well, Roy Moore is, in fact, going after him and suing him for $95 million because of the appearance. He made him look so bad, he's suing him for that much money. I've got news for you. Sasha Baron Cohen didn't make Roy Moore look bad. Roy Moore, great. Roy Moore looked bad. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. The fixer walks the plank for Donald Trump. How long before Donald Trump walks the plank? What do you say? Hello, everybody. Ooh, can you believe it? It's Thursday, December 13. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today. And thanks for being part of the program, The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital and live all across this great country of ours, all the way here from Washington, D.C. to San Diego, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, Monterey, Portland, Oregon, everywhere on the West Coast and everywhere in between. North, South, East, West, it's good to have you with us. 
every little nook and cranny of the United States. We are there with you on every platform that we can find. Uh, joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on the radio on statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and out in uh, Chicago on the great WCPT. And, of course, on television, those of you following us on the little screen here on Free Speech TV, welcome to the program and to our big uh, uh, judge yesterday calling Michael, uh, saying Michael Cohn was guilty of a smorgasbord of criminal activity. Well, we've got a smorgasbord of news for you today. But the big story is, of course, um, the sentencing yesterday of Michael Cohen, where he pleaded innocent. His attorney said uh, basically that Donald Trump had taken advantage of him. Uh, Michael Cohen said he regretted it. Uh, he just felt, as an employee of Donald Trump, it was his duty to cover up his dirty deeds. He was sorry that he did so. Uh, he had tried to cooperate a little bit, not a lot, with the special counsel and with the U.S. attorney up in New York. Uh, and the judge said, no, you're no innocent bystander. You were very much a part of the Trump operation. You stayed there for 12 years. You knew what you were doing. Again, you committed the smorgasbord of uh, criminal activities. And you get three years in federal prison starting March 6. And on top of that, uh, he said that Michael Cohen had to pay... Um, over $2 million in a series of fines. Yeah, pretty pretty uh, serious um, punishment there. Uh, and Michael Cohen doesn't stand alone. It's worth pointing out uh, that so far in the Mueller investigation, there have been 36 people indicted, uh, of whom Michael Cohen, of course, is one. There are now four people who have been given prison terms uh, two of them are now serving those prison terms. Uh, Michael Cohen, of course, is one of those four. There have been seven people close to Donald Trump as a result of this investigation, seven so far who have pleaded guilty. Um, so uh, don't let anybody tell you that the Robert Mueller investigation uh, has accomplished nothing, uh, and those who call it a witch hunt might even have to admit that so far... It's caught a lot of witches. <laughs> but the thing that's significant about uh, the Michael Cohen thing is that the judge or the U.S. attorney, when they uh, sentenced, uh, when Michael Cohen pleaded guilty and now in the sentencing in both cases, uh, they, 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 they pointed out that Michael Cohen did not act alone. Uh, he acted uh, under the orders of, on the advice of, with the blessing of, with the total knowledge of individual one, who is Donald Trump, the president of the United States. And as many prosecutors have pointed out, if Donald Trump were not the president of the United States, he would be, he would have been indicted along with Michael Cohen. He would also have been sentenced right along with Michael Cohen because he is as guilty in my, as Michael Cohen in the crimes that he ordered Michael Cohen to commit. We played this little clip for you a couple of days ago, uh, but I keep coming back to it because he lays it out better than anybody else could. So if you don't believe me that Donald Trump is implicated here and is guilty here, would you trust Fox News, legal analyst for Fox News, Judge Andrew Napolitano lays out 
what the law says about somebody who orders somebody else to commit a crime. So I think those who are trying to downplay this and say it's a it's a it's a bookkeeping error when you're talking about paying somebody money to remain silent about alleged inappropriate behavior, that is either a campaign contribution, which is unlawful, or a campaign expenditure, which is unlawful. And and Cohen pleaded guilty to it. You well, know, if you hire me to shoot somebody yeah. and I shoot them under the law, you are as liable as if you pulled the trigger. I, yep. Yep. Absolutely. Right. You hire a hitman. The hitman does the deed. Yeah. Not only him that's done wrong. You have to. Now, if this, that's, as this, that's not bad enough. And by the way, that's, that is very, very serious um, consequences for Michael Cohen and for Donald Trump himself, the now unindicted co-conspirator, the Richard Nixon of our day. But on top of that yesterday, another person who's been lying about making uh, uh, committing a crime for Donald Trump, David Pecker, the publisher of the National Enquirer, has announced yesterday that he now has reached a plea deal with Robert Mueller, the special counsel, uh, and under which he admits that the payment made to Karen McDougal by the National Enquirer, $150,000, not to publish the story she told them about her affair with Donald Trump, that payment arranged, uh, according to David Pecker now, says, he's for two years he's been saying, we just did it on our own because we didn't think this was worth publishing. Donald Trump never knew about it. His campaign never knew about it. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Now he admits that that was all a big lie. For two years they've been telling that lie. Now he admits that that payment was made in coordination with Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's personal attorney, and with the Trump officials of the Trump campaign, all again at the direction of Donald Trump. So one more person, yet one more close associate of Donald Trump. David Pecker and Donald Trump have been doing business deals together for decades uh, now, one more person close to Donald Trump falls on his sword and says, I was lying. I, was di- I, I did it for Donald Trump. Uh, he will not face jail time. That was part of the deal. But he's agreed to talk about all of the criminal activity, at least possible criminal activity he was involved in with Donald Trump. I mean, you wonder who's left, right? Well, we know who's left. Donald Trump Jr. is left. Jared Kushner is left. And Donald Trump himself. And, and seriously, when Michael Cohen has to walk the plank, how long is it before Donald Trump himself walks the plank? Congressman from uh, Washington State, Denny Heck, yesterday, uh, last evening, was on with Aaron Burnett on CNN. Um, I thought it made a pretty, a, a pretty powerful statement about what this all means. In light of what happened today, in light of all the events of the last couple of weeks and all the sentencing memos that have been filed, now 36 indictments, three prison terms, and the like, I'm prepared to say something I've never said. The writing's on the wall, the walls are closing in, and this is the beginning of the end for the Trump administration. Beginning of the end for the Trump administration. Um, And a question I raised, which I don't think I haven't heard anybody else raise, but um, I, I think it's a legitimate question, which is, what does this say about the legitimacy of the Trump presidency? Look, if you it's if it's shown that you won the White House 
by committing crimes. If you won the White House by breaking the law, and if that's established, and so far the U.S. attorney and the special counsel both say that was one of the big factors in Donald Trump's election. If you win the White House by illegitimate means, is your presidency illegitimate? Uh, just asking, just raising the question. But I think that case could be made. Uh, again, if people can question the legitimacy of Barack Obama's presidency based on the false assumption that he was not born in the United States, uh, why can't we raise the real question about the legitimacy of Donald Trump's presidency since the facts are, the facts are that he committed crimes to help him get that post. Again, just asking, just throw it out there. Uh, I report, you decide. Uh, <laughs> send us your comments on Twitter, at uh, BP Show, uh, and join me in uh, saying hello to our next guest, senior political reporter for HuffPost, Kevin Robiar. Kevin, good to see you. Great to be on. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. You, uh, of course, we're all talking about the fact that it's impossible to make any holiday plans right now because you've got to be around for the That's shutdown. Yes. Um, the so you canceled all your flights, too? <laughs> um, I haven't quite canceled them yet. But I, I book on Southwest, so you can just rebook them easily. That's the key. Yes. It's a thing you should learn as a political reporter is to book your flights on Southwest so you can rebook them without a charge fee. Uh, I have to tell you, you are not the uh, only <laughs> guest who has, come in, <laughs> who has made that very same point, that they're booking their flights only on Southwest because they do still have that policy. You don't have to pay $200 yes, to change your flight. Change your flight. Oh, yeah. That's good. Um, in light of the midterms, I know you've been covering this but mm -hmm. uh, across the board. In light of the midterms, first of all, we saw some pretty dramatic results of the midterms. Mm -hmm. uh, Republicans losing power in state after state after state. Mm -hmm. um, but they, 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 they ain't given up yet, right? There mm -hmm. are efforts to either undo or to limit or to somehow mm -hmm. um, undercut mm -hmm. what the voters decided. Let's start with Wisconsin mm -hmm. and Michigan. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, Wisconsin is probably the most vivid example of this. Uh, that is the state where they're most directly going after the powers of the governorship, which, of course, is going from Scott Walker, a Republican, to Tony Evers, a Democrat. Um, and that's the that's the state where it's most blatant, where you're seeing the most sort of pushback from progressive groups on the ground. Uh, and really the best example of this strategy, which they had previously deployed in North Carolina in mm -hmm. 2016. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you're going to see more of this over time, um, sort of depending on state to state. Michigan, it's slightly different. They're not they are to a certain extent going after the power of but in Wisconsin, if I can. Mm -hmm. Has Scott Walker already signed them, or is he? I believe he's going. I believe he signaled that he's going to sign them. I don't think the law. Well, we know that he will, yeah. right? So it's a done deal. Then my question is, mm -hmm. can Tony Evers um, push back on these once he's governor? Mm -hmm. The legislature will still be Republican controlled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because in large part due to gerrymandering, um, the Republican yes. gerrymander in the state assembly there, in particular, is really egregious. Uh, he, in North Carolina, where this has already happened, Roy Cooper did have some success going through the courts and overturning some of what it some mm -hmm. of what was done. Um, it was sort of a mixed bag. I believe he won on some issues, lost on others. I would expect something similar to happen in Wisconsin. 
one thing to remember is that Wisconsin does, however, have a partisan Supreme Court in the end. Um, the, they're elected in these officially nonpartisan elections, mm-hmm. um, but basically it always works down to the Democrats back one candidate, Republicans back the other. Uh, the Republicans, I believe, have a majority still on that court. Although the did, Democrats did win, pick yeah, up the seat Democrats last year. picked one up. This year, I, yeah. Yes, this past year. I believe there's one seat up maybe every year. Mm-hmm. Um, a Democrat, I believe, is running for re-election this year. The Democrats have another chance to pick one up in um, 2020. Uh, that was actually part one part of what Wisconsin Republicans wanted to do. They wanted to change the election, the date of the state Supreme Court election, which right now would coincide with the Democratic presidential primary, mm. which obviously means more Democrats would show up. So they right. wanted to sort of uh-huh. change the date of that so that mm-hmm. the Republican would have a better chance of winning uh, yeah. re-election. That w- was one part of their plan that did get dropped um, sort of because of outcry from local election administrators in particular. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I, I think Wisconsin. So there will be some challenges. And then Michigan? Yeah. In Michigan, it's a little bit different. There they were big, big uh, mm-hmm. uh, protests yesterday in the yeah. Michigan Capitol. Um, they did go after Gret- Gretchen Whitmer's powers in some ways. But there it's more about, and this is a trend that we've seen throughout the country as well, just overturning the will of the voters uh, based on things that were passed in referendum. They've done things to gut, I believe it was a minimum wage increase, a few other laws that had passed there. And I should note that this is something of a bipartisan trend. Um, the Democratic Council here in the District of Columbia, um, which is entirely yeah. made up of Democrats and independents, um, overturned a minimum wage hike for tipped workers that D.C. residents passed on the ballot. Uh, we've seen that in other states. Um, Missouri passed a fairly comprehensive sort of government ethics law that also would have done away with jerry- done away with gerrymandering for the state legislature. That was also, I believe Republicans there are also sort of looking at ways to gut that. Um, in North Dakota, um, they passed a very strict ethics law, um, one that really a lot of reformers had hailed as a model, and then the state legislature, state legislature gutted part of that. I believe parts of that law were then put on the ballot again, and I think may have passed again, and I'm not sure if the legislature is going to go through the process of overturning it again. But we've seen this in, in sort of state after state after state, which is the voters passing something in the state legislature, ignoring it or destroying so, it. So uh, what's the purpose of having a, an election? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, the state legislator always say, you know, you know, well, we're elected. Like, you know, they may have voted for this, but yeah. they also voted for for us. Right. Um, and that is to a certain extent true. And to a certain extent, while well, you're coming from a gerrymandered district and you have incumbency power and they may not have voted for you because of this one issue. Um, well, so, weren't there attempts also in Florida where the voters voted to allow uh, ex-felons to vote mm-hmm. and the legis- Republican legislature again trying to yeah, there's set some, that I, back or put some delay it or right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I have not. I will admit I'm not as fully read up on that one. Uh, my understanding from what I had read was that that might be a more difficult task than what than what has happened in Michigan, say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's some of this stuff is a little up in the air as to how it all turns out. Um, you know, some of these legislatures have ticking clocks. They have to get this done before the end of the year. Um, the other hope in Michigan in particular is that Rick Snyder, who is a, you know, Rick Snyder's a conservative dude, but he's not quite the partisan figure Scott Walker is. Um there is some hope that Snyder might veto some of these measures, particularly the ones that were aimed at weakening Whitmer. Um, 
that I think is part of the reason why you've seen Whitmer sort of step back. She hasn't been a very vocal voice. Um, Evers hasn't been particularly vocal either, but he's been louder than uh, Whitmer. In both cases, these these groups have really let activist groups take the lead. Um, and I think that's an intentional strategy. Yeah. Um, it makes it look like a little bit less of partisan mudslinging. Uh, I saw him last night, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Snyder, where he said, uh, you know, don't take for granted uh, anything that I might sign or veto or something, mm-hmm. basically, not answering the question. But, yeah. Um, uh, Snyder, we should note. I, I have no hopes that he'll. Yeah, I don't have, <laughs> I wouldn't have a ton of hopes. Uh, the other thing I'd note is Snyder very pointedly did not endorse the Republican running to succeed him, um, which in hmm. some ways was taken as a tacit endorsement of Whitmer. So is he termed out? Uh, yes, I believe he is termed yeah. out. Um, he also, um, his lieutenant governor, who he would have probably preferred and almost certainly would have endorsed a campaign for, um, lost in the primary to Bill Schuette, who was the Republican who ended up losing, in part over uh, Cali, Bill Ka- or Brian Cali, excuse me, his lieutenant governor, was a fairly prominent never-Trump voice in the Republican primaries. That mm. was part of the reason why he lost his own primary to become governor. Um, so he is clearly thinks the Republican Party has skidded off a little bit. Um, not enough to leave the party or to suddenly become a liberal. Right. But um, he does have some issue with the way the party is going. Well, so. one solution to this, uh, this uh, post-election mm-hmm. <laughs> reversal or tampering, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of people uh, have suggested that we just ought to do away with lame ducks. Yeah. I mean, that to a certain extent makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, why should they have any power after they lose? Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, yeah. and this this is but a you long... lost, you're out. Boom. You don't get two more months to make mischief. I mean, this goes back to, um, you know, the Civil War. Lincoln won, and at the time, I believe they weren't sworn in until March. Um, so there was a long time where, you know, basically the Civil War was beginning, and yeah. Lincoln wasn't able to do anything. Um, so I think this is this is not a new problem. It's interesting because there are things that sometimes – they just don't have the time to get to, and the, then they all need to go and campaign, and then they need to come back. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. This wasn't a formal session. I believe they called this session yeah. specifically to do yeah. it. Right. In Michigan, I believe they were always going to come back. Uh, so I think banning lame decks might help quite a bit. Um, but how do you? What do you do when if there was an actual crisis after an election? There are sort of, there are reasons that these things existed in the first place. Uh, so I think. That is a possibility, but I think the, how you word the law banning the lame duck session. Might I mean, in be a sense, what, maybe less perniciously, you see some efforts like that here in Washington with this lame duck Congress. Mm-hmm. The hearing that they had last week with James Comey mm-hmm. uh, yeah. was really a meaningless hearing. Yeah. It was the Republicans wanted to get one more dig into Comey, mm-hmm. right? Or one more chance to talk about Hillary's emails. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I believe another another example of this was uh, there was supposed to be a hearing on a minimum wage hike yesterday that was canceled after the Republican witness. Uh, you may have heard uh, some of his old, uh, I believe they were college newspaper columns came to light and he had said some no. very offensive things. Oh, no. I, yeah. Oh. Uh, so that ended up being canceled. But, you know, they were having a minimum wage hike, a hearing on a minimum wage hike with two weeks. They're not going to pass a minimum wage hike with two right. weeks left in Congress. Um, if the Republicans are holding yeah. a hearing on the minimum wage, it was probably filled with people who were going to say why the yeah. <laughs> uh, raising the minimum wage 
from 725 is a bad idea yes. because, uh, because as, as it will it hurt businesses. I believe, I, mean? I believe the Democrats did get, I believe it was probably going to be two Republican witnesses and one Democratic witness. Um, but yeah, that was, that's not a hearing that's going to go anywhere. Um, yeah. So to a certain extent, there is a little bit of these guys are holding hearings to justify being there. But at the same time, they also need to fund the government. Right. Which they didn't get done before the election. Yeah. Um, on the political, national political front, mm-hmm. um, yesterday, Julian Castro announced, mm-hmm. uh, here, he, here he is making his proud announcement. I'm pleased today to announce that I filed uh, paperwork to explore a candidacy for president of the United States. Does he have a shot? <laughs> I don't want to count anyone out. Um, the one thing I will note, um, if Beto O'Rourke does not run, um, he would be the only Texan in the field, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas has moved up its primary date. Um, it and California are going to play a much bigger role in the presidential mm-hmm. nominating process. Um, and that could be you know, a strategy if he can really lock down that vote. Um, he and he, he, he will, and Kamala Harris would both benefit from that. Yeah, are both going to yeah. Uh, he is also likely to be one of only two Hispanic people in the field, um, which that is not an insignificant thing. It will likely be him and Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see you know, depending on how much momentum he's able to build off of that, that could be very interesting. Um, that said, he when you listen to him talk, he is somewhat of an Obama era figure. Um, it's very easy to imagine his rhetoric coming from Barack Obama. Um, to the extent yeah. the party has moved beyond sort of that more technocratic mm-hmm. kind of style, mm-hmm. um, it's in- it's interesting. Um, he's a figure to watch. I think he's going to get the support of some of the party's more moderate figures, I would imagine, too. Um, Emmanuel Cleaver, who is a somewhat moderate uh, member of Congress from Kansas City in Missouri yeah. um, who represents both um, sort of urban and somewhat rural areas in his district uh, has more or less already endorsed Castro, uh, hmm. which was somewhat interesting that, you know, any any member sticking their neck out this early is somewhat interesting. Yeah. I had uh, a good visit with him in Miami a mm-hmm. couple of weeks ago. He's um, you know, he's a progressive. He's an attractive guy. Mm-hmm. Um, good on the stump. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you say, Latina from Texas, and mm-hmm. so why not? Mm-hmm. And lest we forget, Bill, he has a twin brother. Mm-hmm. It's a twin Which brother. Which could lead to some great <laughs> antics if he ever gets. Oh to yeah, the White House. no, it really could, right? And he could he could appear in twice as many places mm-hmm. as anybody else because yes. he could. He, just they've sit. done this. They look. They did I, this. They, they really do look alike. Yeah, yes. Didn't they? Didn't they go to each other's classes in high school or something like that? Yeah, they talked yeah. about that. Yeah. But also, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's Julian and Joaquin, and one of them was the mayor of San Antonio. Yeah, and he couldn't be there for a parade right. yes. on the Riverwalk. Yes. yes. So the brother went in and filled in for mm-hmm. the mayor of San mm-hmm. Antonio. It's amazing. And nobody knew the difference. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right. No. Um, oh, now. One, other, one other point I'll give in his favor, um, Julian's favor. He is, I think housing could end up being kind of a sleeper issue in this year's oh, yeah. Democratic primary. Yeah. Um, the addition of California to the early schedule, I think, will really uh-huh. make that. That is that is a major issue in California. It's the high cost yeah. of housing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be an issue in a lot of the urban areas where these people are going to end up campaigning. Um, he is a former right. housing secretary. If he's able to somehow turn that into an advantage. Now, I promise you we're not going to ask you about all 30 of them, but there's one more I do want to ask about. Um, and uh, Congresswoman Jackie Spear joins us uh, in the next half hour, so mm-hmm. we'll have to 
get moving here as you're welcome, uh, Congresswoman Spear. And, but the there's a, a lot of buzz since the midterms about shared brown mm-hmm. with the importance of Ohio mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps the kiss of death this morning uh, in the Washington Post. George Will has a column oh, uh, endorsing or embracing at least a shared brown saying mm-hmm. he's the he's the progressive for 2020. Mm-hmm. It it makes sense. Um, the one question about Brown is sort of Bernie Sanders has a part of this lane. Elizabeth Warren has a part of this lane. Where does Brown fit in mm-hmm. among those two? Could he surpass them even? Um, I think had you done sort of the you know progressive senator power rankings a year ago, you would have Warren or Sanders one and two and Brown yeah. lower. I think after Brown's election performance, that might help. Uh, Warren, you can even make the case, kind of underperformed. She obviously won by a huge margin in Massachusetts, but she did not match Hillary's margin in Massachusetts, uh, which doesn't mean she's doomed to make the same performance as Hillary everywhere. Um, Brown is definitely an intriguing candidate. Um, He he has very obvious strengths. He's the one Democrat who's proven able to win Ohio. Um, you would think that appeal would readily translate to the other parts of the Midwest that are like Ohio, Western yeah. Pennsylvania, right? Um, mm-hmm. big chunks of Michigan. Uh, Iowa is very demographically similar to Ohio in a lot of ways, though it doesn't quite have the same population of black voters and has more white liberals. Uh, so, Minnesota yeah. is another state. Anyhow, uh, um, so he's a player. Yes, I he's mean, definitely, a definitely a player. And yeah, the one vulnerability I, think- I have, very, very long voting record. He's been in Congress mm, yeah, and in the state right. legislature forever. And, that always... and there's going to be a lot of things. His record hasn't quite been picked apart mm-hmm. the way, say, Joe Biden's already has. Right. Kevin Robillard here from HuffPost at HuffPost.com. Uh, Congresswoman Jackie Spear from California. Coming up next here on The Bill Press Show. Thanks, Kevin, so much. We'll take a quick break, Great and we'll on. be right back. Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. And here, here we are on a uh, Thursday, Thursday, December 13. It is the Bill Press Show. Thanks for being with us today. Um, and uh, let me just take a minute here to uh, give you a little reminder. Time is running out here. So those of you who are still looking for that perfect gift for yourself or someone you love, uh, take a look at what I'm wearing today. A beautiful nice. hand-woven scarf. Congresswoman, what do you think? I Pretty think clever, it's huh? Beautiful. Isn't that nice? It really is nice. Uh, Rayon Chenille, this one is. She I also think, makes them in bamboo. This is my wife, Carol, who makes you these. You know, these are gorgeous. Aren't and they? I'm not just saying that because I'm on your show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not. It's got a, um, a velourish feel to it almost. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're really she beautiful. Makes them? Each, she does, hand woven scarf, each one hand woven, not machine made. Uh, Rayon Chenille, lots of different colors and designs to choose from. So go to. Uh, BillPressShow.com and just follow the link to the Carol Press Scarves. The reason I mention that is because if you want to get one, by the time you get your order in, she can wrap it up and get it out to you. Time's running out. So um, do uh, the best you can and check it out today. And join me in welcoming our good friend to the back to the studio from uh, California's 14th Congressional District, Congresswoman Jackie Spear, also author of her new memoir, A Very Powerful Story, called Undaunted. Uh, congratulations, Congressman. Good to see you. Great to be with you. Let me you. ask you first, uh, I want to get into a little bit of your political history, which I know, but not everybody knows. But yesterday, um, 
The House and the Senate finally got their act together on something you have been working on for a long time, this whole issue of sexual harassment. So that picture on the cover of the book was me testifying before the House Administration Committee on the bill oh. last year. Whoa, so yeah. That's when I told them there were there were seated members of Congress that had sexual harassment settlements, and uh, we had p got to put a stop to the fact that they were not transparent and that the taxpayers were picking up the tab. And you see, this, you know, with um, in the media, in Hollywood, and the business community, steps have been taken, but Congress is really so slow, dragging its heels. But, but yeah. we have a deal. It should be voted on in the Senate this morning and hopefully in the House this morning as well under unanimous consent. Whoa. And uh, we get rid of the process in which a victim was first told to wait a month, then had to go through a month of mandatory mediation, then a cooling off period of a month, and then was subject to signing non-disclosure agreements so she could not ever talk about it. Mm. And then the taxpayers picked up the tab. That's not going to be the case anymore. Uh, if you have a complaint, you can file it. You will be represented by legal counsel paid for by the House of Representatives. Wow. Yeah. And you don't have to go through mediation, non-disclosure agreements, only if you want it. And uh, it's also going to apply to interns and fellows who had mm. no protection mm. whatsoever under the existing law. Great, great step forward. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, I have to get your take on another item in the news is that uh, yesterday, uh, Leader Pelosi reached a final deal with those uh, still outliers who were not willing to uh, endorse her for to, to return as speaker. Um, what do you think of this deal? Uh, and what do you think of, uh, should Nancy be the next speaker? Oh, absolutely. She should be the next speaker. If you deliver uh, 40 new seats and the majority and contribute more than a quarter uh, of a billion dollars to the candidacies of people who are even saying they're going to not support you. I mean, you're a rock star, right? As she's as she put it yesterday in a meeting. Yeah. Well, you know, I sit in the back of the uh, of the plane eating peanuts um, for dinner, uh, going around the country raising money, and yeah. uh, I'm not. I'm not worthy. Um, she didn't quite put it that way, right. but it was that visual that kind of sticks in my mind. But the deal, as I understand it, is that leaders, leaders of the House from now on have to conserve no more than three terms unless they get a two-thirds vote of the caucus. Well, that and, is the proposal that oh, will be debated right, right, right. Uh, by the caucus uh, mm -hmm. in the, the following right. two to three months. And I feel that it's probably unlikely to pass. Really? Well, I don't think you yeah. can... Uh, I, I don't think you can uh, make that kind of a determination. In the future, going forward? Yeah. yeah. And for, for Nancy Pelosi, she says, this isn't changing my plans one right. way or the other. Right. So um, they can have a win, but it's not changing my plans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, four years is a long, long time yeah. in politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of things don't, can change. Don't we know? Um, what did you? Um, what was your read on uh, her performance in the oh, Oval Office? Brilliant! Meeting? You know, I've watched Nancy now for for ten years, even more, but ten years since I've been in Congress, and she always plays the proper role. Um, she's always very respectful. Um, she's and she kind of broke out of her shell a little bit. And boy, you know, it was a great example of you take on a woman with with strength and power. Watch out. So I'm, I said to her, you know, I'm just so relishing the interactions between this president who is so misogynistic, cannot stand strong women, have to deal with 
Nancy right. Pelosi over the oh, next yeah. two right. or four years. I mean, he started out with that little taunt about, we know that you're so weak, Nancy, because you can't really speak today. And she yeah. just shot right back and said, don't you dare right. question my authority to be right, you know, and the forty members the that 40 I members. Yeah. just selected, and the fact that you don't have a majority in the House anymore. Yeah, and plus, she walked uh, Donald Trump walked right into the trap she said about the Trump showdown. You know, she she laid that out there, branding it as the Trump showdown, which he bought. Right? Yeah. yeah, he does. He's yeah, I, well, he's so out of his his element, and he you know he's not accustomed to. Um, being anything but a bully. And you can't be a bully as president when you don't have control of all um, the branches of government. Mm -hmm. Can't. So yesterday, um, the president's personal attorney, uh, Michael Cohen, sentenced to three years for crimes committed under the direction of Donald Trump. Uh, Peter was just telling me that Donald Trump now is going nuts so on Twitter this morning. Uh, Peter? Um, about Michael Cohen. Yeah, lots of tweets from Donald Trump here in the last couple of minutes. Let's just read from his Twitter feed. Uh, he says, quote, I never directed Michael Cohen to break the law. He was a lawyer and he is supposed to know the law. It is called, quote, advice of counsel, end quote. And a lawyer has great liability if a mistake is made. That is why they get paid. Despite that, many campaign finance lawyers have strongly stated that I did nothing wrong with respect to campaign finance laws, if they even apply, because this was not campaign finance. Cohen was guilty on many charges unrelated to me, but he pled to two campaign charges which were not criminal and of which he was and of which he probably was not guilty even on a civil basis. Those charges were just agreed to to by him in order to embarrass the president, get a much reduced prison sentence, which he did, including the fact that his family was temporarily let off the hook. As a Michael, my, as a lawyer, Michael has great liability to me. Now, first of all, the president did not write that. All right, that is way too clear and to the point. <laughs> there's no spelling. There's errors. no spelling errors. There's no weird capitalizations. The president did not write that. That is from somebody internally. But it also sounds doesn't like Congresswoman like he's a little worried about. Well, he should be. The implications? You know, the walls are closing in on him. And he is, in many respects, acting like a wounded animal. And, you know, we, we need to realize that what that was was a very intricate fraud perpetrated on the American people and on the election process for president. They created an LLC out of Delaware. They put mm -hmm. money. He put money into it. Cohen did. He then paid off Stormy Daniels. There was then a repayment of him in the form of a loan uh, with, I guess, interest. It was done very specifically to prevent her from speaking during the campaign. Now, all you have to do is look at the pattern with the National Enquirer where they said that they paid off uh, Karen, Karen McDougal because they did not want her to speak and impact the election of Donald Trump. This this man is has a long reputation of violating the law and for the most part getting away with it. Right. Uh, and in both cases with Michael Cohen and uh, and the National Enquirer, uh, they both said that what they did was done at the direction mm -hmm. of under the following the orders of Donald Trump, who in effect is now an unindicted co-conspirator. Right. Well, he is a co-conspirator. There's no question about it. And maybe he will be indicted. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a real question. It's a Department of Justice policy 
not to not, indict right. a sitting president. But think about it. If, in fact, he shot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue, would we allow him to continue as the president of the United States? One would hope not. Yeah, right. You know, or, would we, or, or, or would he be indicted mm-hmm. by the local U.S. attorney or district attorney or whomever? So uh, I think that policy was one that was crafted to just you know, keep the country from shredding into threads because of what would happen. I mean, it would create, um, I think, a great um, turmoil, no question about it. Right. We saw that with Clinton's impeachment. It was it was not a pretty sight. So uh, what level of priority does impeachment have in the new Congress from your perspective? I think it all depends on the final report by the special counsel. I mean, he has so much more information than we do. And he, you know, kind of puts it out there <clears throat> in one mm-hmm. indictment after another. And I think we have to wait till it, it's all assembled. But right now, we do know that the president's attorney, his campaign manager, his uh, national security advisor, his assistant campaign manager, all have either been convicted or pled guilty. What does that tell you? Yeah. His orbit is filled with people that have committed crimes. Yeah, we pointed out this morning earlier, Michael Cohen is the fourth one to face a prison term. Paul Manafort will too, but so far four. And the seventh to plead guilty. Mm-hmm. All people... In Donald Trump's immediate right. campaign so orbit. Once, once there is a link, if there is a link, that can be made between the Trump campaign and WikiLeaks or Russia, uh, then you have a done deal. Right. Uh, and uh, related to that impeachment question is, because I get this question asked all the time, okay, Democrats want, have, oh, happy day. We've got 40 seats. Democrats get control back of the House of Representatives, which is huge and so important. So what are Democrats going to do with that power? Uh, is it going to be just a whole mess of hearings, investigations? Is there going to be any legislative agenda? What do you see? Oh, well, we're going to be a check on the executive power that's being uh, used at a level that we've never seen before. Uh, and we are going to deliver the way, it to the American I people. I might point out that's your job. That is my job, right. I'm, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, under the Constitution, <laughs> the House allocates the money and then has a responsibility to make sure the money is being properly spent right. by every agency, every department, including the White House. That's right. Right. So, But we have also made a, a commitment to the American people. We're going to secure the Affordable Care Act. We're going to uh, deal with the cost of prescription drugs and bring the costs down. We're going to do a, a transportation infrastructure measure. And we're going to scrub Washington of the corruption that we've seen in this administration. Uh, nepotism that's been going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, people that have been hired as secretaries of the various um, cabinet posts that, frankly, are the wolves watching the hen house and, you know, the kinds of of conduct that we've seen in this administration that needs to stop. And the very first uh, agenda item, I guess, H.R. 1, which is already in, Mm -hmm. um, about a whole Variety of campaign finance, uh, tax returns. Every tax every return, candidate yes. for a president is going to have right. to uh, file their and voting tax rights and all of it lumped together in yeah. this HR one, which is uh, again Speaker to be Pelosi mm-hmm. uh, has 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 talked about. So it's going to be, yeah, there'll be a lot of hearings. There's also going to be an active political uh, legislative agenda. Any of that get through the Senate? Do you foresee? Well, it'll be a real test of the Senate, and I think what you're going to start to see is. If his power is eroding, which I think it is, even in his base, you're going to see 
the Republicans in the Senate start to have a bit of a backbone and show some independence. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a, a little bit on the Khashoggi uh, incident yes, yeah. and on the war on Yemen and the war on yeah. Yemen. So I think that you're going to see more of that. You must be particularly excited about the young women who are moving into the House. I mean, uh, I said it before, the, the, the House of Representatives is just never going to look, be the same. No, that's right. right. So we're, we're going from 19% to almost 24%. Um, we're going, uh, there were 34, no, excuse me, 36 women elected to Congress this time, 35 of them from the Democratic side of the aisle, only one Republican. Mm. Oh, that's, that and, speaks volumes, oh, doesn't it? And the other thing is the number yeah. of uh, Republican women serving in the House went from 23 to 13. Republicans, yeah, yes. right. But of So the, just the opposite. While the Democrats right. soared with new young women, particularly women of color, the Republicans' numbers And dropped. the other thing that's really interesting yes. about this class is 22 of those 35 women on the Democratic side, 22 of them have never run for public office before. <laughs> I mean, that to me is just a yeah, stunning isn't it, figure, isn't right. it? Yeah. It, it, women so got up one morning and said, I'm not going to take this. I'm going to run for Congress. And they beat very senior mm-hmm. Republicans mm-hmm. in the House. And most of them did it without any PAC money. That's right. right. Yeah. I mean, right. more and more just saying, I'm not going to take any PAC money. And gonna, it just goes to show take you know, American people... Money. Well, give $5 here, $10 there to keep a, a clean election process. Right. No, they're it very does. exciting stories. And I think the potential that, that they've already made a difference, I think, in the whole tone that they bring yeah. to it and everything, right? They're going to have a real impact. I, I don't see – you've met all of them. I haven't yet. But um, I don't see this class as a class that's going to uh, just sit there and be quiet for a couple of years. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, right? they will um, be impacted by a lot of the rules that do exist. But, uh, you know, and I remember there, coming here limits, thinking, huh? yeah, yeah, this place is really run like this. But you uh, you do learn that there is a system. But they're, they're, they're going to make noise and they're going to take action. And I think we're going to see some, some great things coming out of them. I'm yeah. actually looking forward to seeing them in action. Oh, I, I, I'm sure. It's very, very exciting. And you uh, have tell you have your own story about getting involved in, yeah. in politics, which you tell in the, your new book, Undaunted. I love the title. Um, How did you get started in politics? I worked on my very first political campaign at the age of 16. And it was just, you know, my parents had gotten a solicitation in the mail. I filled it out and said I didn't have any money, but I'd like to volunteer on the campaign. It was then a state assemblyman, Leo Ryan's campaign. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. how it all started. Mm-hmm. And then he became obviously my mentor, and um, then he was assassinated in Jonestown, and I he was moved shot. on from the to the state assembly. He went. He was in the state assembly. So then I got accepted to um, college at UC Davis, not Stanford, and I was devastated. But it was the best thing that happened to me because I was twenty minutes from the state capitol, and then I did you work in his office in Sacramento? I did. Yeah, right. and so I had that experience, and then he went on to Congress, and I came back here for. A, a couple of years, um, and then went home to go to law school, and then eventually came back here again. Came back here again in his office in Washington. Right. Uh, and you start the book by talking about you thought you were dying. I mean, you thought you were done uh, lying on the tarmac. Down, Twenty-eight years right? old. Uh, how, how? I was 28 years old, 
And so this is a congressional, de- or no, not a congressional delegation, but his trip. Tell us why why this so trip. So he made the trip to uh, Guyana and South America in, to a, um, a commune there called Jonestown. Um, it was led by the Reverend Jim Jones. He had a church in San Francisco. Um, many of Congressman Ryan's constituents, young adult constituents, had gotten involved in his church. Their parents concerned about their well-being and whether or not there was mind control going on down there. A uh, number of defectors had come out. He interviewed them, uh, was told that there was physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, that uh, there was you know, Social Security checks were being signed over to him. There was gun running down there. So he went down to investigate that. Um, yes, there were lots of lots of bad stories coming out of Jonestown. And, and one of the messages of that whole experience was we had a lot of people in power in San Francisco at the time, uh, the mayor and law enforcement officers that looked the other way because he had a ready group mm-hmm. of 2,000 members of his <laughs> congregation that could go out and walk precincts or mm-hmm. create a huge rally for you, a huge crowd at the moment's notice. He ingratiated himself, got to be chair of the ho- uh, housing. All the politicians yeah. used to go to right. that church. and right. yeah. Oh, yeah, he had a lot of power in San Francisco. So, uh, so they looked the other way. The State Department did not do its due diligence, did not, um, had a duty to investigate, a duty to warn, a duty to protect, failed on all three counts there, and 900 Americans lost their lives down there. Whoa, whoa. And so when Congressman Ryan, you went down on that delegation and visited there? And we took a number of people out with us. We were on the airstrip. We didn't know this at the time, obviously, that was a tractor trailer following behind us from at some distance. They jumped off the tractor trailer, started shooting. The congressman was shot 45 times. Um, two of the, uh, three of the uh, members of the press were killed. Uh, I was shot five times and left for dead on that airstrip for 22 hours. Um, and that's how the book starts. Yeah, I know. I mean, that was a very powerful story. Well, how did you get out of there? So we, I was there for 22 hours. Finally, they. Um, I, I mean, did the local? I mean, did the lo- Guyana police come in and? Well, the or? the Guyana Guyanese army secured the airstrip around 5 a.m. the next morning. This was like 5 p.m. the night before, and then eventually there was a cargo um, plane mm-hmm. that landed and airlifted us out of there. We then went to Georgetown, the capital of Guyana, where there was a U.S. medevac plane waiting. And it, there's this huge white plane and the words United States of America oh, written across boy. it. And it was like someone had just wrapped me in the American flag. I thought, I'm sure, yeah. I, you know, and I, I go to that moment in time every time I say the Pledge of Allegiance or sing the national anthem because it reminds me of how lucky I am. To be in a here. sense, it's it's... You could have gone the other way and just said, the hell with politics, right, after this. Right. So I just, you know, I, I just made a you... commitment to myself that if I survived, I'd never take another day for granted. I'd live every day as fully as I possibly could and that I would dedicate my life to public service. So that's what I've done. And there have been lots of ups and downs. I mean, I've lost three times in, in elections. <laughs> um, you know, 14 years later, my husband was killed in an automobile accident when I was pregnant with our second child. And I was three months from personal bankruptcy. So there's a lot of trauma in this book, but it's also about hardship and healing and um, taking tragedy and, and turning against triumph. Oh, what a survivor. Again, the book is Undaunted uh, from by Jackie Spear, member of the United States Congress, and her story, which is an incredible story. And so, but you still, 
Um, Congressman, I know you pretty well. You still are, are a believer. You still believe in the process, and you're still dedicated to public service um, and plan to continue that, right? I mean, that's I think, your life. I, you know, I was raised during but, the Kennedy era, as were you, and that was Camelot, and that, that was the highest calling was to serve uh, in government. And I still believe it. I still believe the process works. Uh, sometimes it takes longer than it should, as the sexual harassment bill has yeah. taken. But, yeah, right. but it works, and you just have to have faith in the process and and work the process. You know, where Kennedy said politics is a noblest profession, quoting somebody, I forget, but I've often quoted that myself. I yeah. mean, uh, you're right. With all the ups and downs, it's still the way I believe to bring about change, right? You know, and we've and you've survived. And you got to stay in the trenches That's and just right. keep, you know, keep at it. I mean, <laughs> like I'm sure you've talked to a lot of these freshmen members of Congress who are coming in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those who do believe they don't know it all yet, they can still <laughs> learn from people like you. I mean, what do you tell them? Well, I don't, I don't tell them anything. Oh, okay. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's the wrong word. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I offer them advice if they ask. And they're, you know, they're also pretty awed by the fact that they're now members of Congress. And they, they want to do the right thing. They were drawn to it for all the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's going to continue to keep our country on the right track. You certainly can show them. It doesn't happen overnight, but if you uh, stick to it and keep at it, uh, you can make a, make yeah. a big difference, as you have. Again, congratulations Thank on you. the book. It's Undaunted, Congresswoman Jackie Spear. Great to see you, Congresswoman. Happy holidays. I would hope you don't spend them here in the United States Congress in the middle of a showdown. Well, you know where I'm Shut going? Down. Yes. I'm going to the border to see oh. our troops, and then I'm going to Good for Tijuana. You. Good for you. This is the Bill Press Show.